0: Aloha, I'm so glad to have you all join us here today. We have a very special guest, and I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation. I'd like to introduce you to Diana Lockett, right? Did I say that right? You sure did. Like, lock it, lock the door, lock it. Oh, I was thinking lock it like something beautiful you wear around your neck. (laughs) That too, that too. (laughs) Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for having me here. First of all, it's beautiful to be in your presence and feeling the aloha energy coming into my system feels so delightful and relaxing. I am in Canada. I am Canada's only realignment coach. And realignment coaching is a coaching methodology that's based on mind, body, and spirit, which is not just personal development-based, but really deep embodiment practices. So I use spiritual philosophy, Mindset philosophy so traditional personal development life coaching with spiritual philosophy and somatic soma is body so somatic or embodiment based practices to be able to release tension from the body to fall in love with the parts of ourselves that we have perhaps been denied and we can talk about that as we go into our conversation today and i help people to understand who they are how they are and to bring acceptance and compassion into their own system so that's one part of what i do i also have worked as a speech language pathologist for 32 years and consider myself a communication expert helping people to understand how to communicate whether that's a nonverbal child on the spectrum of autism or whether that's a woman in relationship who can't seem to communicate with her husband or a partnership in relationship in a work relationship where one person is either projecting or communicating with toxicity or lack of consciousness. So I bring conscious leadership and communication into everything I do. I also have my own Yoga Teacher Training Academy, which is a program that I started about 14 years ago. And I trained some of the best yoga teachers in Canada to be yoga instructors. And I call it secretly a personal development program disguised as yoga. And the beautiful blessings of that is as we move our body, we awaken our energy centers and we allow healing to happen physically. And then the other hat that I wear, more often than not these days, mm-hmm. is its chief communications officer with Ignite Publishing. And my journey with Ignite Publishing has been one first and foremost as an international best-selling author, soon to be five times. And then As a volunteer support project manager with this book that we did last year called Ignite the Hunger in You with Les Brown, which is the book that talks about my grief journey and currently work as their chief communications officer, supporting our authors through their author journey, supporting our team by bringing compassionate, conscious leadership to the team, and however else I can be of service. And so I come here today absolutely thrilled to be able to have a conversation with you and to help the bright and perfect messages to come through us for your listeners who are waiting to hear exactly what's meant to come to them.
0: That's so beautiful. I could just, as you were saying those things, I thought there's not a person listening that can't get something from probably lots of different things that you're going to say today, because it just, everything that you said applies to everyone. And Mm -hmm. I really think our society is, at least it seems to me, becoming more conscious, more aware, more paying attention than they used to. I, I don't know whether maybe that's because of the pandemic and everybody had a lot of time to think <laughs> that brought these things to them or, or why exactly it's happening. But I've noticed it in people. I know I'm having deeper conversations with people than I've ever had before and learning more about people and, and the way things happen. And it, it just it's
1: I think it's pretty wonderful. Mm-hmm. Have you sensed anything like that? So I believe that we become the top people we hang out with and we attract what, what we are. And so there's a part of me that wants to say yes, because it's who you are and who you're attracting in your life. And it's who I am and who I attract in my life. Having said that, there are still many people that are walking around this earth, wounded and unconscious. And there are many people who go back and forth. So they want to wake, awaken. They want to be the best version of themselves. They want to com- communicate with empathy and compassion and tolerance and understanding and forgiveness and all the beautiful virtues that we all want to live by. But then there are some people whose wounded younger parts of themselves have been kind of in the darkness for a while. We call those our shadows. The collective shadow is, is in the on the earth right now, but we all have individual shadows. And those parts of ourselves that we haven't given time to acknowledge, to integrate, to love, to bring to the light, they kind of show up in the less opportune times. Like they show up as as toxicity, they show up as abuse of communication, they show up in a way that doesn't allow the best self to come through. So yes, I do think that there's so many people talking about consciousness and awakening on this earth today. And there are people who who are trying so hard to get there, but then they get pulled back. And the way that I describe it is we have this thing called our nervous system, which is the communication network between the body and the brain. And from a very early on, very, very early on, our communication system, our nervous system is impacted by the experiences we either witness or experience ourselves as children. And the nervous system literally starts to shut down. It's like a garden hose that gets kinked and then the water can't flow. So the nervous system gets shut down maybe at the age of two when your parents said you cannot have that cookie, that fifth cookie before dinner that grandma brought you. And you start having a temper tantrum in front of grandma and parents get horrified because, oh, my gosh, my mother's here seeing this and she swears her kids never did that. So you're a parent, your kids having a temper tantrum. What do you do? You panic. You send them to their room. The child very early gets the message that their unique self-expression, which by the way, as a speech pathologist, temper tantrums for a two-year-old are normal behavior. That's normal communication. And as parents, I do parent coaching as well. Our job is to help to refine their communication skills. So that child at the age of two got a very important message. I either express my truth, which comes out as a temper tantrum because that's all I know, or I risk losing and I risk, if I do that, I risk losing mom and dad's love because they separate from me. And so that becomes an imprint. Fast forward that child now to 50 years of age, 40 years of age, 30 years of age, and something in life feels out of control. That unconscious two-year-old that's having a temper tantrum that was told, no, that's not okay. I don't love you if you do that. And here's how you know I don't love you because I put you away in a separate space. That child starts noticing at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, that that part of themselves that has been denied, that true self-expression. And if you don't have conscious practices to bring that to the surface, to talk about it, to practice feeling into it and loving that part of yourself, it comes out as a triggered response when someone says, does, or acts a certain way and you don't know what to do and we blow up, collective we. So this is how I believe we are all on an awakened path. I mean, awakening is our natural state. It's who we are. We have simply been conditioned repeatedly to go to sleep, to deny the parts of ourselves. And I know that the conversation we're having today is around grief, particularly. And that's a really big conversation because when we cannot and don't have permission and don't have Conscious parents who are able to show us how to touch the grieving parts of ourselves, we deny those as well. And then something big happens. Let's call it a pandemic. Let's call it the loss of a parent or a loved one during a pandemic. Let's call it separation from society during a pandemic. And this collective grief now is coming to the surface and we have a choice. We can feel it to heal it, or we can numb it and deny it and put it away for a later time. And that's happening, I think, equally as often. And it's called addictions,
0: yes, I, I can I can see that happening a lot. I was thinking, as you were describing that about how I was raised around death until I was thirteen. It was something that you didn't talk to a child about, and I was, put myself in that child category till I was 13, that if somebody died, that everything was kind of hidden away. You didn't talk about it. You didn't talk about what happened or how it happened. And they were just gone. And it was, um I was always curious and I couldn't figure out what was happening. And if I'd asked questions, I was shushed. You know, I, I, it was, I only had one sibling, and she was much older than I was, so she, she wasn't around where I could ask her any questions, so I just made things up, <laughs> mm. and, and it's taken me a while to figure out what was what I made up and what was what was really going on there in those experiences. Then, then when death actually kind of hit me in the face, I, I was really confused. At mm. that early age of of what things were, and it, it was uh, a, a lot to deal with. It took me a long time to really work my way through that because that because mm-hmm. even then, still, my parents weren't talking to me about it. Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. with my situation, my my grandmother died. She was living alone, and she died and in, in her sleep, and had been there for a couple of days before my mom had noticed she wasn't around and found her. And that was right when we had moved into a house that my mother really didn't want to be in. We had had a home that was was a nice home in a neighborhood, and we knew everybody, and it was a good place to grow up. And my dad accepted an ambulance company in trade for that house. And And in those days, you only had to be 14 years old to go on ambulance calls and have an advanced first aid certificate. So all of a sudden, my very first day when I was 14 going on an ambulance company, I had a baby die in my arms and several mm-hmm. family members died in a big head-on collision. And I just, I thought, how can they be here? And then they're not, you know, just yeah. just that quickly. Yeah. And it it just took a long time to work through that. I'm, I'm very comfortable with it now. But when I was younger, it was a real challenge. And I, I think people are often challenged
1: with what their feelings are about what death is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I can remember <coughs> when I was probably 10 years old, I went to each of my grandparents' funerals and great grandparents and great uncles And I thought funeral homes were where people went to die, Mm. not when they died. And I can remember, I was probably younger, I was maybe six or seven, standing at the back with, there were four girls in my family within three years. So we were like all cute, all dressed the same, perfect little girls. We were good little girls. That's a whole other conversation. And um, sitting at the back, standing at the back, standing room only in this hot, sweaty, smelly room with all older people and someone passed out on our feet. And I literally Mm. thought she died. Mm. And so this idea that people go to funeral homes to die is something I carried for a long time. And as a little girl, that was so frightening and no one talked about it. They ushered us out of there, but we didn't hear like this person just fainted because it was so hot. We didn't get any explanation. So fast forward, my closest relationship to death as an adult was when my mother passed away and my sisters my family and i decided to keep her at home for her palliative care but she lived six hours away from me so we did a schedule we made up a schedule so four adult daughters we made up a schedule that we would each move in for four days at a time and take care of her and then we would go home resume our life and come back and we did this for six months my mom passed away of brain cancer in 2010 And I realized at the time that when she passed away, even though I was a spiritual teacher and coach at the time, and I believe that we are simply transitioning forms, I was so busy in the planning of coming back to my my home, driving back the six hours through a snowstorm, getting my family, coming back, planning the funeral, all those busy pieces that we do, that I hadn't really taken the time to mourn the loss of my mom. I mean, I mourned it probably a little bit more while she was dying than when she actually died. And I realize now, as I think back on it, we didn't really talk about it. My sisters and I didn't really talk about it. You know, we celebrate every day, every year, her birthday. There's a post on Facebook. I have a celebration that I do every year with my family. That's a representation of my mom. But we didn't talk about her death. And so I didn't get a chance to process it. And then when COVID hit, I had some massive transitions that happened very quickly. My husband walked out the day that I came back. I was on a trip in Iceland when COVID hit. When I came back that day, my husband left our family and not just me, but our family. Mm. My father and my cat, rather, let me go in sequence. About two months later, my cat passed away. He was 16 and he had been with me through some really challenging times of my life. And then within six weeks, my dad died. And when my dad died, I didn't expect him to die. He was—he had dementia. He was in a nursing home in Montreal. I was monitoring the COVID stats, and everything was shutting down. Nursing homes didn't have resources, capacity, staff to manage. And so I was waiting for the phone call that my father had COVID. And the phone call I got at 630 in the morning was my dad had passed overnight. And I can remember this primal scream coming out of me. And my son jumped alert, 6.30 in the morning, ran to me and threw his body on top of mine. He was only 12 at the time, 12 or 13, knowing that somehow I needed that support. He just knew intuitively. And then a few months later, my daughter moved away. Now, my dad, we all know when people passed away in COVID, we didn't have funerals. We didn't have gatherings. It was very much of an isolated Morning. And then my daughter passed away. I didn't pass away, sorry. My daughter moved away. In that time, I was a mom with four people living in the house, all of us trying to figure out how to work remotely, how to pivot the learning remotely, how to not get over each other's, like get on each other's nerves and step on each other and schedule our meetings at different times. We weren't interrupting. And then all these things happened. And I had to still show up and figure out and manage this household in this small house where we were all working. Mm -hmm. When my daughter moved away, I realized how much I had been holding her as a crutch. She was an adult. And I felt like my support system left with her. And I found myself at that point literally fallen to the ground. And all of the grief from the previous five, six months come right full force into me but also the grief of the childhood neglect that I'd experienced the the grief of the childhood abuse the heartbreaks as a young adult and my mom's death my mom's death came back and I had an opportunity at that moment to decide did I want to lean into this healing or did I want to keep getting busy And I knew it was an opportunity. And it wasn't easy. Grief is not easy. I would love to say, this is how you heal grief. You do this, you do this, you do this. But there's no linear path to grief. But what I do know is that pain times resistance equals suffering. And when we resist what is, it creates more suffering. Pain times loving presence equals freedom. And so I chose very consciously to get up every day imagine my grief right here in my hand and say good morning grief what do you need today Mm. and I spent the next full year in relationship with my grief remember some of it was really old that I had never touched and I gave it an opportunity to be loved not make it wrong not try to hide it. You know, our society has such an unhealthy relationship to grief. In a workplace, you have three days to grief the loss of a loved one. Three days, and then get over it, get back to work. So there's a part of me that's super grateful. During COVID, I was able to give myself really, really great permission to take the time for my healing. And yet, I was also aware of a slippery slope between going into the grief, feeling it fully, And staying stuck down there in a place of depression. Yeah. So I had to be very aware because I was now the sole responsibility person for a 14-year-old boy. Mm. I couldn't stay there. So every day I would get up and I would turn on the faucet to grief. And grief is a beautiful water energy. It's a temple energy. And when we touch it, we awaken the part of ourselves, the portal for our deepest yearning. So I would open it up. I would do some practices and then I would close it back down for the day and go and be mom, coach, speech pathologist, whatever role I had to play that day because I had those responsibilities. And the next morning I would repeat, what do you need today? And so I would love for your audience to hear that being in relationship to grief is a really healthy thing. In fact, essential practice. You may not be able to do it alone. You may need support and find support because that's how we allow grief to move through us rather than pushing it down, finding a dark place to hold it until a later time in life where at that point we might even feel it, unable to get up and get out of bed. That's
0: so beautifully said. I, I really love how you put all this together because... People, uh, especially if they haven't been around loss in general, it doesn't have to be someone dying, but if they haven't been around much loss and all of a sudden they have a big loss and there's no one around that they can talk to, they don't have a clue what to do. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows to reach out to them because they don't say anything about it because they don't know what to do. I I see that all the time. And I know uh, with what I I part of what I do is facilitate a a group that gets together once a week on zoom and we write together and uh, do happiness practices together too. But I know that you, you mentioned that you wrote about grief for one of the ignite books. And I wondered how, how that experience was for you. Was writing healing? What, what, what
1: happened with you writing that? What was that process like? Yeah, I, I love writing and I love to I love to call myself a writer and an author. Writing is a very healing practice. And I can often plan what I'm going to write, sit down, open my computer, and then what comes through me is very different. And in fact, the interesting thing is I wrote about that story. That was my third story, Ignite the Hunger in You, which is available on Amazon or anywhere you get your books. And Ignite the Hunger in You, that story of. Um, The relationship I had with grief and the reflection that I had on that really challenging time of my life while I was still in it. So it's not like it had happened years earlier. I was in it when I wrote it, which I don't always recommend for published authors, but from a journaling perspective, from a writing perspective, such a great tool. Because as you write and you go into flow, you give your brain permission to unpack what needs to be reflected on, touched, or just put into words, put on paper. When I was reflecting on it, I reflected on all the losses, and I was reflecting on the gifts that I had. So you use the term happiness. I use the term contentment. And it's from the work of Pema Chodron, who talks about how joy or contentment is the umbrella or the sky under which All other emotional states can land. So if we think of joy or contentment being the sky, the clouds are sadness, anger, disappointment, excitement, happiness. And so they come and they go. And so this is also based on some of the physiological evidence of how our body responds to these states. My job as I was going through this and then reflecting and writing on it and moving through it as I was writing was could I be in a state of contentment, even as I experienced my grief. So it wasn't an either or relationship. It wasn't either grief or happiness. It was in this moment, as I'm fully feeling my grief, can I feel content? And when I was content, what I was doing was I was fully feeling life, my life force, my entire beingness. And that contentment made everything that I was going through okay. It didn't make it easy. It didn't make it happy. But it made it okay. It made it okay in that moment. And I started that story by reflecting on three things that my son said to me at 1 30 in the morning. And it was April of 2021. He came to my bedroom, knocked on the door, and said, Mom, when is life going to go back to normal? Hmm. Now, for those of you who are outside of Ontario, let me just explain what life was like in Ontario. Pretty well shut down for 16 months. We didn't socialize. We didn't see anybody. He didn't go to school for 16 months. His dad left, his grandpa died, his cat died, and his sister moved away. He went through everything I went through. He says, when is life going to go back to normal? And I think for anybody dealing with grief, that's a really common question. You just want some sense of normalcy. My response to him was, sweetie, we get to create a new normal. And so for someone going through grief, how do you create your new normal? What commitment, what practices, what beliefs, what good feeling things can you do that become part of your new normal? I'm giving a little, just for those of you who aren't aware, I'm giving you some strategies here to move into your new normal. So you get to choose. And I know it's hard because when you're in the middle of grief and not able to express it or feel supported by it, there's a sense of the nervous system shuts down and you can't access creativity. You can't access your genius, your prefrontal cortex. But if you can find a couple of breaths, allow your tears to flow and in fact, make them okay. Welcome them. It's like you're welcoming yourself back home. Then decide what is it that you want to do when you're ready? What is it that you want to do? So for my son, I said, sweetie, we get to create our new normal. And that's the good news. And I know it's been really hard. We do get to create a new normal. He asked me another couple of questions. But the one that really stood stood out, this was the one he finished with, is what is the meaning of life? Wow. And I know it's 1.30 in the morning. I'm like half asleep. Why are we here and what is the meaning of life? Those were his last two questions. The really good news is as a spiritual coach, teacher, and leader, I know those answers. (laughs) So they're easy for me. And I want people to hear this because when you lose someone you love or something you love or the life that you love, you know, whether it's loss of a job or having to move, I've gone through bankruptcy. I've had a lot of loss in my life, a lot of loss. When you go through times of loss, it's easy to sit in places of shame, of blame, of fear. But if you can turn it into, once you feel your feels, because you don't ever want to deny the feels, you have to feel it to heal it. And then those two questions, you know, why are we here? What is the purpose? I really believe that our answer is we're here to love. We're here to love. And so the question then becomes, What would love do? So if you were willing to lean into having a loving relationship with your grief right now, what would love do? What would your grief want to do? And that question that he asked me, those three questions that he asked me, got me on a path where we packed up our house, sold our house, and moved across Canada which is 4,500 kilometers, we drove by ourselves across Canada, across all the various, you know, beautiful territory of Canada to live in the mountains by the coast. And that question, when is life going to go back to normal, really prompted me to decide what is normal going to look like for us? What do we want? So remember a little while ago, I said, when you can open up the portal, And allow grief to be expressed as the water energy that it is, water being the tears, fluid, not trying to stop it, hold it down, tighten the throat, but just let it be in all of its messiness and all of its glory. On the other side of that is your deepest yearning. So grief becomes your most beautiful gift. It's a present for you to bring presence into the next stages of your life.
0: Wow, that's that's a whole book right there. What you just said is <laughs> just absolutely amazing. And and what really appealed to me about that is that it, that's kind of what happened with me without thinking it or planning it. I've I've had two husbands die, and when the first one died, I I was just plain lost and just trying to. I, sat by myself a whole lot and didn't didn't know what to think or feel or anything and it it was uh, it took me a while to get to the point where i could even talk to anybody mm-hmm. eventually i did and eventually things were okay but when ron died uh five years ago i it had the same feelings initially as i did when shock died but then i said okay we can't do this the way we did it before, because it didn't serve me, it didn't help me, it mm-hmm. didn't help anybody around me. So what is it that I need to know yeah. to do my best with this right now? Yeah. And what came to me was purpose, that mm-hmm. I needed to, to know what my purpose at that point was. And I realized that my purpose was love. And when you said both of those things, I thought, I think we're on the same track here. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And let me just say that that, first of all, like my deepest condolences for those losses, because they're not easy, not once, but twice. And the level of spiritual maturity that you brought to the second experience of, I need to do this differently. That that wasn't that what that was in the past was what it needed to be. Because if you knew better, you would do it different. Yes. Right. So you get to bring tons of forgiveness and compassion to that part of you that didn't know better. But then at this point, there was a more spiritual, mature part of you that had a different way of responding. And so you brought that into your life. And here you are now coaching other people and helping other people understand that they too will be okay. And that it's okay. Let me just preface that it's okay to not be okay as Mm -hmm. well you use the word okay it's okay to not be okay as well that's
0: right very very much so and i i just love one of the things that i do with the, the grief and happiness alliance meets every week on zoom and i'm always so thrilled to work with the people that come because i'm i'm seeing these like light bulb moments with them Every week that they're mm-hmm. they're realizing I'm not alone, I can mm-hmm. deal with this. I can decide what my next step is. I can move forward. I don't have to be stuck. and usually by the end of the the meeting every time we we're, we're everybody's in a good mood and can't wait to come back for the next week and figure out what we're going to do that time. And we do different writing things every time, and it's a whole process of Writing different things all the time is just bringing out so much for them. And they're not writers. They're not doing it to, to publish or share with anybody. They're doing it to yet. help themselves. Let's, yes, let's just yet. say, yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a good way to put it because I, I didn't have an intention of uh, writing anything for anybody else. But writing mm-hmm. was one of the first things I turned to. I, I teach writing. And have written college textbooks on writing, so it seemed like a logical thing for me to do that. I don't know why I didn't do it after Shock died, but I didn't. Mm, yeah. But doing it after Ron died helped me so much, and the different kinds of things I could figure out to write and do, I thought I I have to share this because it's helping me so much, mm-hmm. and that's that's how I got started in helping other people was just doing these different writing practices. Mm-hmm. And it's just been so well received. And there's nothing like seeing somebody smile at the end of the meeting when they're even in meetings. It's not unusual to have tears, but at the end, they're always, uh, they can breathe.
1: Yeah. And I always say one of my mantras is breathe and everything changes. Mm-hmm. And when we are in that contracted place of fear and and so much grief and tension, we forget to breathe. But That's the neurophysiology right. of breath, neurophysiology of breath teaches us all we need to know. One breath is an entire meditation, Eckhart Tolle says. And I say breathe and everything changes because you can start to release the stress responses in your body. And you can start to allow the nervous system to unkink, to open up, to flow. And I love what you're doing because what happens is my my program is called Realign to Thrive. And I have online Um, online personal growth programs and I do coaching individual and group coaching and the realign is an acronym and the R stands for remember and when you bring people together in community and you're getting them to write and they're starting to feel like I'm not alone and they're starting to feel like maybe for just this moment I'm going to be okay Mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're you're giving them an opportunity you're creating the platform for them to remember who they are, without the story, without the pain, without the loss. And we get so consumed with, I'm going to call it a narrative, but I'm not saying that it's not a right narrative. Mm -hmm. Of course it's a right narrative. But we get so identified and there's some, we know cultures that that identify so much that women will wear black for the year, for an entire year, or sometimes the rest of their lives, Mm -hmm. because we identify with that. And then it gets really hard to see who am I, without this identification. And then how, of course, how can I serve? How can I change? How can I heal when I'm so identified with this? And that's a very spiritual journey as well. So I love that you create the platform where people can remember, even if it's just, what is it, an hour? Mm -hmm. Once a week, they get to remember, I'm not alone. I might be alone the whole rest of the week, but in this hour, I'm not. There's people who understand Maybe I can have a breakdown. Maybe I can have a breakthrough, and both of those things are welcomed. And at the end of the day, I know that I get to say goodbye and I'm going to say hello again in a week. So that remembrance is so important. And everything I do, by the way, I believe I do it as a practice of remembrance. All of my spiritual practices, my embodiment practices, my yoga teaching, all of that, I do so that I can remember who I am without the heaviness of the stories that I've lived.
0: Oh, that's that's so beautiful,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I just uh, I think writing is is a, a portal, yeah. so that uh, people can can learn whatever it is that that they need to know or that's coming through them.
1: Yeah, I d- there's a beautiful I, flow to writing that if you can just let the words come. You know, I always say we have to just get out of our own way. I mean, mm-hmm. in life in general, but especially as a writer, it's really important to get out of your way. Because otherwise you will you will sit and you will obsess over the exact words or spelling or grammar or whatever. And to allow it seem to seamlessly flow through you. You know, we can say life is happening to you. That's consciousness level one. Life is happening for you. Or I say for the evolution of your soul. That's consciousness level two. Um, Reverend Michael and work. And then life is happening through you. And that's when you can write. And and sort of just free conscious writing, whatever it happens to be, is a beautiful expression of recognizing that you are simply, we are all, we are all simply vessels for something to come through us. Whatever that something is of your understanding, the God of your understanding, we are vessels. And when we can have a moment of remembering that and being in that state, everything can soften. Again, for that moment, you can be okay.
0: Oh, that's so fabulous. That's such a, a perfect message that uh, but listen to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Re- remember that. And when when things come up and it might start to be feeling a little uncomfortable or tough, just take that deep, refreshing breath and mm-hmm. say that to yourself. I don't yeah. know how.
1: Yeah. And I think it's okay to feel the discomfort of not feeling okay too. Mm-hmm. Like that's because we don't want to bypass that, right? We don't want to push it down for a later that's date. Right. If it's coming up, it's because it's so ready to heal. You know, when that's I wrote right. my last story in the book that we're co-authoring together, Ignite Forgiveness. No, sorry, not ignite forgiveness. Ignite forgiveness was a different story. Um, Ignite Your Wisdom, the previous story that I published in Ignite Your Wisdom, I was writing about surrender. I got the download. I was out skiing. I was skiing in fresh powder at Whistler. And I'm skiing down the hill and I catch up to my daughter. And I said, I know what I'm going to write this story about. Because I don't know until I know what I'm going to write about in every single book. I said, I'm going to write about surrender. And I had the idea. I'm going to write about how I surrendered to kite surfing. And the surrendered wisdom that I don't belong on a kite surfboard <laughs> in, in the water. And, and I had a full-bodied mind, body, soul experience of surrendering in a retreat with my organization that I've, that I've practiced with called Heart IQ, which is deep embodiment circle practices that we do. And as I went to write thinking that's what I was going to write about, what came through was my writing specifically about the loss of my mom. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, 11 years later, 12 years later, and I'm bawling my eyes out And I'm feeling so grateful that I get to write about this at that time. It took me that long to write about my mom's passing. I experienced it through some of my embodiment practices during my COVID practices, during that time that I was alone. But to actually write about it, it took me 12 years to write about it. And I'm so proud of what I got to remember that she taught me while I was writing.
0: Wow. So powerful. Just Mm. just amazingly powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, well i i appreciate you being here with me today so much and i know that everybody that listens to this is going to appreciate it very much too and if it, given them a lot to think about and a lot you can do listeners <laughs> do it you know take take advantage of this i i would suggest that you write some notes as, as soon as we sign off here and then right from there and you'll be amazed at what happens and and what can come out it's it's really can change your life so absolutely
1: absolutely and and do it from a place of loving understanding compassion
0: yes absolutely there's no judgment yeah Yeah, yeah, there's no
1: space for judgment it's simply loving compassionate understanding and empathy for yourself yeah
0: well, I'm going to put in the show notes for this episode how you can contact Diana and see about all of her wonderful different programs that are going on and about our book and <laughs> whatever else that we're doing. Uh, so make sure that you look at the show notes and and enjoy this show and think about it. And fortunately, it's a recording because there was a whole lot <laughs> in here that you might want to go back and listen to it again to say oh she said this and I wanted to write about that and it's all right there so you can listen to it as often as you want to Mm -hmm. so uh, I'm glad you're here with us today and I look forward to seeing you again next week and I, I appreciate you uh your support in listening with us thank you very much aloha do you want more comfort support and happiness join the grief and happiness alliance